Well, good morning, Good Shepherd. Whether you are live or live stream, I'm Talbot Davis, the pastor here. As always, delighted to be able to connect with you. And uh, this is the second week in this series, a series of conversations that we're having not only in the worship center, but beyond the worship center about how it is that everybody connected to Good Shepherd can influence people, not just to buy something or to support some random cause, but actually influence people for matters of eternity. And today's message is called The Question You Should Never Ask. And if you have your Bible with you, I want to invite you uh, to find the book of 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verses 15 through 18, 2 Timothy 1. And some of you have a Bible that looks like this, and other ha- others the Bible's loaded on your phone. Either way is okay with, with, with us. And if you didn't bring a Bible that looks like this, and it's not on your phone, and you're wondering, what am I going to do? The good news is the words are going to be up on the screen like they always are. We go to that, those links. We love it when you can see the Scripture for yourself. Because we believe that this library, and it's not a book, the Bible's a library, and actually the book of 2 Timothy is from the section of the library that's devoted to correspondence. There's an entire section of the New Testament that's just letter after letter after letter that that we get to uh, look in on a couple of millennia later. Uh, But we believe, not only do we know that it is a library, we believe that it is a uniquely inspired library. You may not believe this yet. You may still be thinking about it, or you may be like, yes, I do believe it. I know I'm in the right church, but wherever you are on that spectrum, we believe that God breathed his life into its words. He put his truth onto its pages. And the Bible really is inspired and eternal and true. Because we believe that, when we get together and talk about the Bible, we do something kind of different. Some of you are already doing it. We lift it up. And maybe you've never tuned in before, maybe you've never shown up before, and you're looking around at phones and books and stuff up in the air, and you're like, this is kind of strange. And our answer to that, we know it. We admit it. But we've discovered that this is a moment of oddity, shapes our identity as a community, where a collection of people joyfully surrender to the authority of the word and ready for its power to be let loose in our lives. Amen? And before we pray over this message, I want you just, uh, whether if you're, if you're live streaming, look at someone who's in the room with you. And if you're, no, if you're doing it by yourself, uh, think of someone who's on your heart or on your mind. If you're here at, at the Moss campus, look to your right, look to your left and get that person in your mind's eye. Would you pray now? I'm going to just give a time of silence. Just pray that the Lord speaks to that person on either side of you, that the Lord speaks to them through this message. Let's pray that. So have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. For you are the potter, and I am the clay. Amen. So is it it okay with you all if I start out by letting you know about something that makes me low-key angry? So something that, that if I hear it come out of the mouth of a regular person or someone who attends Good Shepherd, it'll make me a little bit frustrated. And if it comes out of the mouth of someone who works here, who's like on staff, well, then it might be time for what they call a come to Jesus meeting. And, 
And the, the, the deal is, when you have a come to Jesus meeting on a church staff, it really is about coming to Jesus. But here's the thing. Here's the thing that makes me a little bit frustrated. It, it, it's when you have someone in your life and you know they're going through a rough patch in their life. Like maybe, may, maybe they're living through the death of a loved one or, or maybe they're trying to navigate the death of a marriage. Or maybe they're on the receiving end of this grim medical diagnosis. Or maybe, maybe they're just in the depths of depression. And so you have someone like that in your life, and with the best of intentions, you say to that person, let me know if there's anything I can do to help. You ask that question, is there anything I can do to help? And then it's first cousin, call me if you need anything. I mean, it sounds harmless, doesn't it? You, you've said it. It's been said to you when you were living through the, the, the death of a loved one or the death of a marriage or you got a bad medical diagnosis or you were wrestling with despair and people said to you, is there anything I can do to help and, and call me if you need anything? And, and, and actually, I would say, even though it sounds harmless, it is incredibly harmful. It, it's not only not influencing kind of language, I would say it is a bad influence and you're like why would you say something so harsh about such a nice innocent sounding thing to say Talbot and and here's why when you've got someone going through that rough patch in in their life and you ask them is there anything I can do to help call me if you need anything you are unwittingly communicating two things the first thing you're communicating is, is is there anything i can do to help please be no please let let the answer be no call me if you need anything please don't call please don't call that's the one thing you're communicating and the second thing is even worse you, by asking that person who is themselves going through a difficult season in life is there anything i can do to help you've now added to their burden in addition to trying to navigate grief or in addition to trying to navigate divorce or their own depression, they now have to, you've given them one more burden because they now have to figure out how to help you help them. I mean, they're just trying to breathe. They're just trying to get out of bed in the morning. And now in addition to everything else they're trying to get, get through, you've given them one more. Anyway, in your spare time while you're going through grief or job loss or, or chemo treatments, help me, will you help me help you? You've just added one more burden. This thing that sounds so harmless and so sweet is actually paradoxically quite harmful. And it's so different from what happened with Paul, pastor, missionary, author in the years of the early church. We, 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 as he writes his second letter to his son in the faith, Timothy. So, so Paul is, is father in the faith. Timothy is son in the faith. Paul is mentor in the faith. Timothy is mentee in the faith. And we believe that these, the second Timothy, that these are some of the last words that Paul ever wrote before the Romans beheaded him for the crime of being a Christian. 
And because we believe these are some of the last words that he ever wrote, last summer, some of you may remember, we had a whole message series devoted to this letter. It was called Famous Last Words. And yet in that series, we didn't look at this little gem of a passage we're going to look at today from chapter 1 and verses 15 through 18, where Paul, in addressing Timothy, so you got the two men, Paul addressing Timothy, he brings up a third man, a man we're going to get to know over the next few minutes, a man whose name is Onesiphorus. Hey, say that name. Onesiphorus. Yeah. Now, I am pretty sure that nowhere in the Christian world is there a St. Onesiphorus's church. I don't think there's an order of St. Onesiphorus, like in the Roman Catholic Church. I don't think there's a statue or a monument or, or a memento of this man who, after all, he only gets three mentions in the New Testament, which is enough for a Wikipedia page but not much else. Because here's the, here's the situation that, that Paul was, was going through in Rome, it be, because even though Onesiphorus, let's say that name, Onesiphorus, even though only the Bible nerds among you had ever heard that name before you walked in here today, you can admit it. Nevertheless, his story is remarkable, especially for those of us who, who want to be influencers, especially those of us who don't want to ask that question we should never really ask, because Onesiphorus' story is, it is helpful, it is remarkable, and most of all, it is repeatable. Because here's what's going on with Paul as he writes 2 Timothy, a second letter to Timothy. He is under house arrest in Rome. And when I say under house arrest in ancient Rome, I mean literally under house arrest because Rome did not have a central jail. Rome instead would put its prisoners in a series of houses. And Paul would be moved from house to house to house. And as he, usually against his will, usually in secret, and usually it was to prevent the people who loved him from ever finding him, because it was a crowded, dense city, and Paul was chained to a Roman soldier as he was moved against his will from house to house to house. And with that sort of as the backdrop, this little section opens with some of the saddest words that Paul writes in the entire New Testament. Look at what it says in verse 15 of chapter 1. You know, Timothy, that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Phygelus and Hermogenes. Now, a couple things to notice about that. When Paul says Asia there, he is not talking about Vietnam and Thailand and the Kamchatka Peninsula. He didn't even know those places existed. What he is speaking of, the province of Asia, is what we would know today, and we have a map of it, as Western Turkey, as Asia Minor, which was a self-contained governing province within the Roman Empire. So it's people there who have deserted him. And when, when Paul says, everyone has deserted me, I don't know. It might be a little bit of hyperbole exaggeration like when your middle schooler says no one likes me anymore or everyone else is going to this event they want you to let them go to so 
a little bit of exaggeration there, but the, the, the fact remains, uh, whether it was everyone without exception or just a whole lot of really important people in Paul's life, he had been disappointed by people he thought he could count on. And maybe the reason that these people abandoned him is because they had a disagreement, which is possible, because Paul could be fiery and he had disagreements with people. But it's more likely that the people abandoned him because being associated with Christian prisoner Paul under a death sentence, fixing to lose his head, that that could be a scary proposition indeed. And so a whole group of people decided ultimately not worth it, including the two that Paul mentions, Phygelus and Hermogenes. And now you know why there is no church of St. Phygelus anywhere in the world, like eh, except maybe in hell, anywhere in the, in the world. We, we just don't, we don't honor Phygelus and we don't honor Hermogenes. But the result is, Paul's isolated. He's alone, he's abandoned. And some of you, some of you know someone who's incarcerated. I do. And even if you don't know someone who's incarcerated, you know someone who has been caught in the crossfire of a family's disintegration. You, you, you know someone who is living in the aftermath of a grim diagnosis. You know someone who battles with depression so severely that they almost couldn't get out of bed this morning and their lives seem to be going okay and, and, and you're like, you don't get it, you don't understand their depression, you think it's circumstantial and it's not, it's chemical. And even though life is going great, that doesn't mean they could get out of bed easily today. You know someone like that. Some of you know someone like that and others of you are that person. And in any event, that question, well, how can I help, adds to the burden. It doesn't help it. Which is how Onesiphorus, hey, let's say that name, Onesiphorus, how he enters the story. Look at what happens in verse 16. May the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesiphorus. Now, when, when Paul asked mercy for the household of Onesiphorus, some people take that to mean that Onesiphorus was dead by the time Paul wrote this, and Paul wanted his family and his heirs to be taken care of. That's possible. I tend to think that he is alive. But, but either way, notice why it is that Paul wants mercy to Onesiphorus' household. Next part of verse 16. Because he often refreshed me, and was not ashamed of my chains. He often refreshed me. I love that word refreshed because the, the, the word refresh really conveys what happened to me that time that I was edging my yard with a gas-powered edger and my elbow came in touch with the engine. And just so you know, a, a human elbow should never come in touch with a burning engine and and, and I, I got this big old burn well. Everybody say, oh. In fact, I still have a, just a little bit of it, just a tiny, yeah. And, and so on that day when it happened, and I don't know, some colorful language might have come out of my mouth, but on that day when it happened, I got that ice pack and put it on that, that burn place on my elbow. And I was like, ah, oh, 
so good, so refreshing. The ice on the yard looked fabulous by the time I, it was over, by the way. But uh, that's, that's what Paul is talking about. It, it is this cool drink of water, this cool ice pack on a burning wound. And, and notice how often Onesiphorus brought that refreshment to Paul. Not once, not when it was convenient, not, not a, a mission trip selfie, look at me, look at what I did. No, he often refreshed me. And then it gets even better. Look at verse 17, what Paul says. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. Now, why did he have to search hard for Paul? Remember? Because Paul was under house arrest at this succession of secret houses on the congested, dirty streets of Rome. And Onesiphorus, say his name. He, he went around those congested streets. Could you tell me where Christian prisoner Paul is? I'm looking for Paul. Can, can you help me find him? Do you, know, do you know where that Christian guy, the one who talks about the resurrection all the time, do you know where he is? And Onesiphorus was willing to ask that question and do that search when asking the question and searching for that man could get him in trouble. He might be under the exact same sentence of death that Paul was. And yet, Onesiphorus kept doing it and continued to do it until he found him. And so what? notice what Onesiphorus didn't do. He didn't send Paul a text. Well, call me if you need anything. He didn't ask Paul a question. What can I, what can I do to help? Instead, he showed this remarkable initiative and this incredible tenacity to bring refreshment to a person who was burning up with pain. And there is no St. Onesiphorus church anywhere, but there should be. And, and some, some seminary where they train pastors, they should open a, an Onesiphorus school of pastoral ministry. And here's why. Here's, here's what we learn. Here's what every one of you who has that person in your life, here's what we learn from Onesiphorus's story. It's this. Influencers, don't wait to be asked. Because they see what others don't, and they do what others won't. People of significant influence in the world, using their influence not to sell product, not to promote random causes, but using their influence for things of eternal value, they don't wait to be asked how they can help. They see the help, and they seize the initiative. They see what other people do not see, and they will do what other people will not do. And that's where the influence comes from. For those folks in your life, the ones wrestling with the divorce, the ones coping with the griefs, the ones in the middle of depression, your influence, you, you, you will only have a bad influence if you ask them, call me if you need anything. What can I do to help? You'll have a positive influence if you see what others don't, do what others won't. It was so interesting. The very week that I was working on this message, this is a few weeks back because I try to work way ahead, and, and I was having a conversation in my office with a woman about her life group. And life groups, in case you don't know at Good Shepherd, groups of 8 to 12 and sometimes larger, people who study scripture together and pray together and, and try to live a Christian community life as much as they can together. And, and this woman was talking about her life group, and she said, we see the gaps. 
And I said, hold on, lady, that'll preach. And so I leapt up out of my seat and went and wrote it down, put it in my folder. And guess what? Today's the day it's preaching. We, we, this is what happens when you go to counseling. We see, we see the gaps, she said, that we notice what's going on in our life group. We notice who needs help. We notice who's feeling overwhelmed. And without being asked to intervene, without being asked to provide refreshment, we do it. That's what it's like. Influencers don't wait to ask because they see what others don't and they do what others won't. Or maybe, maybe it's like what happened back in March of 2020. Do y'all remember March of 2020? It's kind of one of those before and after times. Right at the beginning of the pandemic. And a couple came to us to the business office and they gave a, a, a special check to the church and they asked us to start a crisis fund because they said people are going to get sick and people are going to lose their job and we want this church to be able to be there when that happens and so we we took the special gift we invited other people to give to the crisis fund and pretty soon that crisis fund had grown to quite a healthy amount and what do you know what happened during pandemic oh people lost their jobs People got sick, people died, and we were able to use that very healthy amount in the crisis fund to meet needs when it came to rent and mortgage and utilities and maybe more than anything else, maybe more than anything else, DoorDash. Be because for real, when you get COVID, what is more helpful than having someone bring you a meal and leave it at your door? And because, you know, you can't really interact with people. And, and so when we would find out that people had COVID, we wouldn't ask, well, what do you need? We knew what they needed. So we would say, there's $200, $300 worth of DoorDash coming on your phone, whether you like it or not, buddy. And, and now, if you're out there thinking, well, I got COVID. <laughs> I didn't get DoorDash. We didn't know about it. People slip through the cracks. If you let me know, we will send you DoorDash retroactively, you big baby. We will do it. We, we'll do it because, hey, that crisis fund is still healthy because you all are so phenomenal. That's what it's like. Influencers don't wait to be asked. They see what others don't and they do what others won't. Or maybe... Maybe it was like my men's life group. I've already talked about life groups today and my men's life group. We always divide up into prayer partners. And one week, again, this is during pandemic, one week my, my partner was a guy who loves to stay in touch and which was so meaningful during pandemic. And, and you know, he's always texting me, what can I, how can I pray for you? How can I encourage you? And, and uh, that Sunday, it turned out, happened to be a Sunday that I wasn't up here preaching. And it wasn't because I was sick. It wasn't because anything had happened. It was just because I wanted to give the church a gift of another voice. Can I hear an amen for that? And, and, but my friend was alarmed because I like never don't preach. And so he sent me this text and he said, are you okay? Are you okay? Because he thought I'd gotten COVID. And, and I answered back, no, I just wanted to give the church an, uh, the gift of another voice. And on, on one level, his response was kind of funny. But on another level, it was absolutely beautiful because he onesiphorist me. Influencers, they don't wait to be asked. 
They bring refreshment often. They search hard. They see what others don't. Do what others won't. Who? Who do you see? Who is there in, in your life? Who is on the other end of grief? Who is going through the death of a marriage? Who is on the receiving end of that grim diagnosis, going through chemo? Who is wrestling with despair and depression? And even though you don't understand it, that doesn't make it any less real. And maybe, maybe most of all, if you're a volunteer with Good Shepherd students or Good Shepherd kids, what children are you seeing who are caught in the crossfires of that family disintegration? Who is it that you are seeing? How can you influence without waiting to be asked? without asking that question that actually puts an extra burden on that person, how is it that you will see what others don't and do what others won't? Now, a couple of quick cautions here. Because some of you are ready to get going, ready to get going. I love it. But if the, the person who's brought, been brought to your mind is, is suffering from isolation, and you know it is... It is a series of broken relationships. Maybe there's been a series of ruptured marriages or a series of, of family traumas, and, 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 but you know that person has been in the middle of all of them. You're very wise and you're within your rights to ask gently. Everybody say gently. Everybody say Onesiphorus. My job is done here. You ask, ask gently, well, who's the common denominator? Because a lot of people are isolated repeatedly because they are the common denominator. They are the ones who act in such a way that the relationships break. Ask that question gently, but get this, not asking it is not doing that person any favors at all. And the second caution is, this is for you to, to look deep inside. Make sure that your need to be needed isn't greater than the need. Because some of you, you're like really inspired. Yeah, I really want, I want to be useful. I'm hearing you tell, but I believe it. I believe it. I believe it. And, and yet there will be occasions when your need to be needed, your need to be validated by being needed, is greater than the actual need. This might be true for about 20% of you, that your need to be needed is greater than the need. The other 80%, you, you, you need to be propelled into being more of an onesiphorus than you really are. 20% might just need to pull back and might need to evaluate your own motivations. Because influencers, onesiphoruses, they don't wait to be asked. But they instead see what others don't and do what others won't. Because, I don't know, I am really looking forward to that time at some point in the future and Maybe I'll be in the lobby overhearing a conversation or maybe the parking lot or maybe Rivergate and, and I'll be watching a conversation between a couple of good shepherd people and it's a hard conversation. And I hear one of them start to say, is there any? And then correct it. Your meal will be at your house tomorrow. I'm coming over tonight. I'm asking that child this Sunday if she would like to make Jesus king of her lives. 
of her life. And when those kind of conversations happen, then I will know, we will know, we have onesiphorus this entire body of Christ.